This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Recovery Radio. My name is Steve Martorano, host and guide on Recovery Radio, sponsored by Retreat Behavioral Health, about which more a little bit later. We have a terrific guest for you today, a a, a gentleman who is, with no exaggeration, no stranger to public service. Uh, John F. White Jr. has been a former Pennsylvania state representative, a city of Philadelphia councilman. He was at one point secretary of welfare for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, as well as Philadelphia's federal housing chief. John joins us in his capacity now as the president and CEO of the consortium which is an award-winning behavioral health provider for the city of Philadelphia. We welcome John F. White, Jr. to the program. Mr. White, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me, Steve. It's a pleasure. So let's begin at the beginning. Tell us about the, the consortium. Well, the, in 1968, the federal government authorized community-based services for people with mental illness and who uh, now we call it intellectual disabilities, but back then it was essentially called mental retardation. And the consortium was one of the very first uh, to open and operate in the country. What made the consortium so unique was, believe it or not, Steve, the first board of directors was elected by the community. So, and for those, for all those years, more than 50 years now, it's had a a real commitment to serving the community here in West Philadelphia and Southwest Philadelphia. We've grown, and so now we are seeing individuals who are coming from all over the city who are seeking help with their their mental health problems or uh, their addiction problems, and we also provide support services for the intellectually disabled. The drug and alcohol program, uh, the consortium was the first methadone program in the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, and has served continuously uh, all since 1973 when the program was introduced. We're located at 451 University Avenue, which is directly across the street from Veterans Hospital. And for the old-timers who are listening to this, uh, we moved over to 451 University after the years being in the uh, uh, the old Philadelphia General Hospital, uh, which Frank Rizzo closed and promised that uh, West Philadelphia would not go without drug and alcohol treatment services. And so we moved right across the street. And it's been um, a continuous operation. I think on the drug and alcohol side, they, they're only closed for Christmas. It's seven days a week and 24 hours a day uh, that we're available for individuals who are seeking that kind of assistance. Well, I know we're going to get a little deeper into the issue of um, of uh, substance abuse, uh, drug addiction, heroin, mm-hmm. and that problem, which is much in the news. But we're going to we're going to save that for a little bit and focus, if we can, at the top of the program on the work that the consortium does with regard to behavioral health. Let, let, let's okay. talk, let's talk about some of the services. And by the way, you have five locations now, correct? That's correct. That's correct. Uh, the four fifty one is the addiction center. Uh, fifty five zero one Chestnut Street. And then we have our children's uh, and family programs that are operating out of 20, 2821 Island Avenue. Uh, and, uh, of course, then we have our program for children who have um, beha- behavioral health and drug and alcohol issues to face as well. Um, the, we serve about 18,000 people a year um, in, in outpatient services. We don't do any inpatient or residential programs at this time, although we have a small residential program for 
individuals who are transitioning out of the correction system who suffer with mental health problems, assisting them in uh, assimilating into, into the West Philadelphia community. Uh, we have a lot of diverse programs here, and we're very fortunate. The federal government has uh, taken to identifying those programs who meet certain excellent standards, uh, and, uh, and we, we're, we're right up there. We uh, have all been certified in trauma-informed services and trauma-focused therapies. Uh, we have several uh, fairly recognized blueprint programs. Uh, one is our functional family therapy program, which uh, is one of the most effective anti-bullying uh, programs that uh, that are known to, to 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 the service industry in this country. Uh, we are now with functional family therapy serving the juvenile probation and uh, department uh, under family court. And over the years that this program has been in operation, we've averaged uh, a reduction in recidivism among that population by almost 36% on an annual basis, which is incredible uh, in helping to really stem the tide of young people uh, not being able to cope, families not being able to heal. And we're very, very proud of that, as well as the trauma-informed services that we provide, which we're also very, very proud of. Uh, it's been a difficult time from year to year um, because the consortium is doesn't have we don't have a benefactor. Uh, a number of, of agencies like ours have someone that you know has committed to this and has put their money where their mouths are, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But we we are almost solely reliant on our Medicaid funding from from the state um, as well as the community behavioral health system here in Philadelphia. But one of the most interesting things, Steve, is that we turn no one away. If you come and you have no, no ability to pay, no insurance, our first move is to try to see if we can get you qualified for one of the various insurance programs that are available to the public. But your ability to pay is not going to impact on our ability to serve. And I think that that's another uh, quality or idea that we've been focused on here at the consortium for years that has served a great many people in that in that realm. Well, you know that's a that's a uh, significant point to bring up because in, uh, the the many obstacles that are in uh, in front of people who have behavioral health issues, mental health issues. Uh, first and foremost, like is the is the money is the money thing. How am I how am I going to pay for that? So it's important to let people know that there are organizations like yours, like the consortium, that want you to come in and start the process of getting help and worry about worry about the money uh, uh, the money later. Um, so, so that's so you're not you're a nonprofit, correct? Yes, we are. We're a nonprofit. Um. And our annual budget is somewhere around 28 to $30 million a year. Mm -hmm. Every dime of it goes to afford individuals who are committed to serving this population an opportunity to earn a decent wage uh, and to uh, take care of all of the, uh, shall I say, the, the hidden costs that are associated with being a community-based organization. You know, you, you, you touched on uh, the issue of social, the social determinants that impact on the individual's behavior, whether that's a mental illness or an addiction. Uh, and that's the one place where the system has really failed seriously, Steve. The ability to, to identify the 
the issues outside of their mental illness or their addiction that are impacting on them, whether it's homelessness, unemployment. Uh, you'd be surprised at the number of people who go to bed hungry in this town. You know, it's amazing uh, how popular food banks are uh, here in Philadelphia. But they're popular because of the need mm-hmm. that exists. Mm-hmm. And there's very little support uh, that you get uh, for those programs coming out of, out of government right now. And so you're taking a risk, uh, as we have, in trying to identify and then address some of those so- social determinant issues that impact on people's lives. Uh, but you can't heal, whether it's mental health or, or addiction. You can't heal uh, when, unless you know, you're, you're surrounded um, by those things that uh, help uh, soften the triggers that, that lead you into different behavioral attitudes and whatnot. And so helping people find jobs uh, through our greenhouse program where we literally try to identify jobs for people with mental illness or, or drug addiction. Uh, computer lab, where people get an opportunity to, to hone their, their computer skills, which makes them even more employable. So there's a lot that goes into helping people to both uh, recover and to heal. Um, uh, t- talk a little bit, uh, well, I hear you about the societal I- issues that are impacting this stuff, and I'm detecting something of a shift towards that notion as we move a little further back from the epio, uh, epi, uh, the, uh, the opioid, opioid so thank you, the opioid right. situation, right. Uh, and to take a broader view of what's really going on in our in our neighborhoods, we can see that the problems are deeper than that. Did you um, did you mention the seeds of hope? Did you talk about that? Our seeds of hope program. Uh, is a program that serves the more seriously mentally ill, uh, where we're working with them, making sure that they stay uh, in compliance with respect to their medication. Uh, as they begin to become more compliant, we try to uh, introduce them into the community in which they're living, to get them comfortable in shopping for themselves, going to the store, using the YMCA, or going to a recreational center, um, and taking advantage of the programs and services there. Seeds of Hope um, is a quality program. Again, it's another one of those uh, blueprint programs that have been uh, identified for, for their, its effectiveness. Uh, reintegrating people back into the community, uh, you're really dealing with uh, head-on the, 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 the stigma that is often associated with mental illness. Uh, and we, we think that that, that that stigma only impacts those who say the, the NIMBY, not in my backyard, crown, but people with mental illness or, or a behavioral health problems, shall we say, uh, they know the feeling of rejection. Uh, they know that when they walk into a doctor's office that they really don't want them to be there because of their appearance or because of the way they're projecting. Uh, we know those things. And so we try to work with our neighbors and community and businesses and whatnot, as well as more than 100 people a day who are coming for that kind of more intense assistance in dealing with their mental health crisis. Yeah, the other obstacle, I would guess, and we've only got about a minute till we have to take our first break. We mentioned the f- financial situation stops a lot of people in their tracks. The The other obstacle, I would guess, with, with a certain um, a citizen who's got these problems uh, is this notion that, well, look, yeah, I'm feeling stressed or I'm feeling depressed or even suicidal. I got so many day-to-day problems things I have to deal with that mm-hmm. I, I, can't, I can't be running around because I don't feel right. That's got to stop. Mm-hmm. That's got to stop, doesn't it? It really does. It's, um, 
you would be surprised the the magnitude of these social issues that impact on people, individuals, and families uh, with behavioral health issues. Uh, the decision about whether I'm going to go to treatment or whether I'm going to go apply for a job. Right. No. To you or not, that may seem like simple, okay? But uh, it's not. Because of the stresses associated with that, they know they need the treatment, but they also know they need a job. They need a way to try to you know, help really support you know, their families and, and, and their loved ones. And, and a small decision like that, you know, do, my job interview is at, at 9 o'clock, but my group therapy starts at 8.30. Um, you know, so we try to work with them around how to manage stresses such as that. Um, and uh, we've had some success. We're never going to be 100%. But what I have found is what people most appreciate is the fact that you are trying to help them. Yeah, the effort. And that is... The effort matters, Steve. The effort matters. John F. White, Jr., uh, President and CEO of the Consortium, is our guest. The Consortium is an award-winning behavioral health provider in this area. Um, And we, we will pick up with our conversation with Mr. White straight ahead. This is Recovery Radio. Don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. We are delighted to have as our guest John F. White, Jr., Mr. White is the president and CEO of the Consortium. That's an award-winning behavioral health provider in this, uh, in this area. Uh, the oldest, in fact, in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. 50 years they've been uh, helping people with substance abuse issues and mental health issues. Too many of us think that we just discovered the problems of mental health and substance yeah. abuse. And people like the Consortium have been s- seeing this for decades now. They... Um, they're doing great. They're doing great work, as their as their website says. Diverse services for diverse people. Uh, uh, John, uh, let's pick up on this notion of what other factors are contributing negatively, unfortunately, to the to the behavioral health, mental health of um, our communities. Um, let's let's begin with uh, violence. Uh, now, you mm-hmm. have you have uh, uh, obviously on the ground experience i mean you were uh, some of your early work was in stopping gang warfare we're not hearing a lot about gangs lately but we're certainly hearing a lot about violence tell us about that and its and its impact on the community violence uh, in many quarters is the number one public health issue that communities are facing uh, and the effects of violence the long term effects the, the traumatization that takes place of both victims, uh, and by that I mean the actual person who was uh, physically you know, harmed by violence, as well as their families and communities, uh, are really living in a, in a realm of trauma. One of the most frightening things for me, Steve, as we survey the, the people that we're, we're working with and the changes that are taking place in our approaches and whatnot, is the impact that violence has had on young people. Uh, the amount of trauma that is reported by the teenagers and the preteens that we work with is astounding. Uh, we're at West Philadelphia High School, we're at Robus, Paul Robeson High School during the year providing services right there in the school for young people who have issues. Almost 90% of the children, teenagers that we serve uh, have experienced some form of what we call close trauma. That is, they have been witness to it, they've been a part of a family, a close-knit family that has experienced it, and overcoming these issues is really, uh, a, really a challenge. And there's another point to this, though, Steve. Uh, the city of Philadelphia and its diversity has a number of people who have immigrated from, from other countries around the world. 
some of those countries have been involved in extreme violence, whether it's the war in, in Liberia, uh, or folks who, who, who are fleeing, you know, from Eastern Europe, uh, to come here. Uh, and they're coming with these traumatic experiences. It's almost like when they, they packed their bags to come, they brought those negative, uh, uh, feelings and, and experiences with them. And now they're here in the city of Philadelphia and they're being ex- exposed to it almost on a daily basis through, through the news that is taking place. And then unfortunately in some areas, the live, coverage, the live experience where it's actually happening in front of them. So trauma associated with violence is a huge problem, and the federal government and the city uh, have been devoting more and more resources to trying to address to address that, that, that particular um, uh, situation. And so uh, that, that one is the key in terms of the violence. Yeah. Uh, but there are, other, there are other components to this that uh, are nearly as, as impactful. Uh, the, the the homeless situation, uh, Steve. The the the, the 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 need for housing for low income people uh, is also overwhelming. I had experience at the housing authority, but uh, now in, in working much closer with, with the populations that we're serving, housing and unemployment uh, are the two most societal issues that that people are facing. But trauma, uh, violence is the one that has been most impactful. Uh, on one's behavior, John. I wonder if, uh, in your uh, your work and your and your clinicians and your therapists, when they uh, are working with young people who grow up in this a- atmosphere of violence, uh, noticed something that probably a lot of people are not thinking about, and that is that for these young people who are being traumatized by the circumstances they're living in, they may not even recognize that the, a trauma is occurring that their behavior is being shaped and their and their well-being is being damaged by all of this that's going on because it's all so ordinary for them is that true that is very true but it's not just with young people it's also with adults uh just just the other day uh we have a program where we call it uh, let's talk about it where we invite, invite members uh, who are being served to, to come in to talk about various topical issues that uh, we're dealing with on a daily basis. The last, let's talk about it, was on trauma. And to hear the experiences uh, that people are willing to, to, to relate to an audience uh, are, are amazing. Uh, and you, it, it begins to, to make you wonder how in the world do they get through it? You think of yourself, you think of your family your children, and it's an opportunity to give thanks for the fact that you haven't had to, to go through some of the, the terrible uh, experiences that people who are fighting their behavioral issues are, are going through. And it's, you're right that they, we don't know. It's like depression. Remember when it used to be the blues? Mm, right. Now it's a diagnostic disease. It's, okay? it's called depression. And it took how many years for us to get to that point? The same thing is happening here. People don't know what trauma is. And so when we talk about being trauma-informed, it's a method by which we are educating the public as well as our members uh, as to the effects of trauma, how to identify trauma, how to, uh, how, how to, how to address the issue that you're facing, how to, how to surface the issue, how to recognize those dark corners of your life uh, that are really locked in because of the trauma that you experience. So you're absolutely right. Uh, folks are searching for what is wrong and not realizing that they're slipping further and further into uh, a trauma-adverse you know, situation. 
John F. White Jr., our guest, president and CEO of the consortium. We have more with John straight ahead. This is Recovery Radio. Don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Martorano with you. We'll return to our guest, John White, of the consortium straight ahead. But I want to remind you that the freight or the rent is picked up for the program by Retreat Behavioral Health. And uh, as I say very, very often here now, when uh, Peter Shore, the founder and uh, president of Retreat, signed a board to support the program, he, he, he bought right into the notion that this – Look, they, they are paying the freight, but this isn't an infomercial. They're a world-class organization growing all the time. They have a great reputation covering all kinds of issues regarding behavioral health, but they don't sponsor the program to tell you they're the only place in the world that can help you. What they do want you to know is that there's good information here and education, and if you want answers to anything, not unlike the consortium, you can call Retreat, and and they will you know either – get you the help themselves, or they'll direct you in the right place. I give you their phone number, and I sincerely mean it, and I know the people at the retreat do. We hope you never have to use this number. But in a bad, in a bad situation, this, this could be helpful. 855-859-8808. That's how you re- reach Retreat Behavioral Health. 855-859-8808. John White is our guest. It's been terrific talking to him so far. We have more to cover with John, he is the president and CEO of the consortium. They are a, a, a well-renowned 50 years now. They're celebrating 50th anniversary uh, of a behavioral health provide, uh, uh, in provider in the uh, city of Philadelphia, uh, servicing, getting services to over 18,000 people a year now in five locations spread out. They, they, they are not Johnny-come-latelys to this problem. One of the things, John, that I know you're passionate about is this notion of the opioid epidemic, which you I've heard you interviewed in the past when you talk about how terms have changed. W- one of the regrettable uh, ironies, and perhaps a beneficial one in a strange way, is that once the issue of heroin or the abuse of opioids uh, spread out into different communities um, and the complexion of some of the people suffering from this changed, so did the discussion. So, so did the terms we use. Talk a little bit about um, your feelings about heroin and the problems we're facing now. We've been experiencing a heroin epidemic in Philadelphia for decades. Um, and we could not get folks to recognize the severity of the problem. Um, but once we started uh, seeing more usage of uh, unauthorized prescription drugs, pills, um, coming out of your parents' medicine cabinet. All of a sudden, the whole narrative changed. Uh, It went from heroin to opioid. Uh, Heroin is still the most used opioid out there today. But most of the conversation takes place in the broader context about opioids, and that focuses more on uh, those who are using illicit you know, pharmaceutical drugs, the pills. And, and you read a lot now uh, about the pharmaceutical industry being under a tremendous amount of pressure uh, because of the way they had just dumped uh, this poison into to various communities across, across the country. The, the, because they brought that discussion, uh, they now don't call it a methadone program. It's called a medication-assisted treatment program. I guess it has a, a softer edge to it uh, than, you know, saying, simply saying methadone. 
but the medically assisted treatment program uh, includes, uh, in a large part, methadone. Uh, another one is Vivitrol, uh, and the one now that um, is most often referred to is, is Suboxone. Uh, these are different forms of treatment for opioid addiction, uh, and we're now seeing that the system has opened up, and uh, heretofore where they had frowned upon or not being an advocate for expanding the, uh, uh, the, the number of options that an individual would have in, in seeking uh, to get rid of their opioid addiction to include uh, the Suboxone and the Vivitrols along with uh, the, the, the methadone program. Um, this really has become, I think, uh, over the years, both a race and economic, social economic issue. Um, once the complexion changed, once the income levels of the families that are affected by it changed, uh, all of a sudden we now have gotten a much-needed uh, attention of those who, who influence policy and, 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 and vote on various budgets to recognize the, the, the necessity for having the broadest uh, treatment modality that you can possibly have in treating this addiction. As long as it was heroin, the way out was methadone. But methadone requires you to be there every day. It requires you to sometimes stand in line and wait along with other folks. Uh, and it can uh, appear to be a very demeaning experience in, 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 in acquiring your methadone. So by introducing the other two uh, elements that are involved, Vivitrol and Suboxone, it also begins to, to take that stigma away from the person who is seeking help. If I have a job... Uh, you know, methadone makes it tough because I'm there every single day, uh, both to get my methadone as well as to experience treatment. The other alternatives, Vivitrol and Suboxone, don't require that, that level of discipline, particularly as it relates to uh, the, the therapy associated with it. And so it gives that individual more flexibility. It gives that person uh, an opportunity to step off of methadone altogether if they if they'd like. Uh, by participating in these other medically assisted programs, and they get uh, weaned off uh, of those programs uh, as well. And so uh, the race, the economics of those who've been affected by this, I think, have, have has been the catalyst for the most significant change because the opioid crisis under the rubric of heroin it's not a new crisis. Mm. It is not a new crisis. No, it certainly it's isn't. It's just now being addressed more, more fully. And... and, and uh, We've shifted, perhaps not enough yet, but we have shifted from looking at substance abuse, heroin addiction uh, as a criminal justice problem, a law and order problem, to a a public health issue. That's a long time coming, right? It's a long time coming, and it is still evolving. It is still evolving. Uh, there's still situations where, um, you know, the law dictates whether you get any help or not. Uh, there are certain correctional facilities in, in this area that are just now beginning to treat individuals who are in jail for their addiction. For the longest time, if you got uh, arrested with the jail and you had a heroin addiction, you had to kick it, so to speak, right there in jail. Now they're offering you know, alternative treatment for individuals who are about to be released from prison to help them get a head start or returning to, to their community. We just finished a, a project at the Camden Correctional System 
where we were educating inmates there who were due to be discharged or, or released on the use of Suboxone, on the use of Vivitrol. So they're getting a head start upon their release and being able to access you know, the necessary treatment that they have now learned more about and have an opportunity to make a choice, a decision about which treatment modality they, they would choose to, to follow. And so we're pleased that finally it's being held in that discussion as a public health issue, but it, it, it still has a long ways to go. You still have a tremendous amount of resistance in local residential areas and communities uh, who don't want to see treatment in their neighborhood, uh, even though in many cases their neighbors or their family members are the ones in need. And so continuing to educate is important. I'll take you back a few years uh, when it was in the mental retardation when they first decided to uh, allow individuals with intellectual disabilities to live amongst us in, in, the, in the neighborhoods through what they call community living arrangements, there was a similar kickback or pushback from you know people living in the community. They didn't want those people uh, to be their neighbors. Well, we overcame that, and they found that they discovered that uh, those those households are productive, they are nonviolent, they are community participants. Uh, hopefully, we will get that same degree of flexibility uh, as it relates to the addictions program, as long as we exercise that with some discipline. You can't just dump these programs into every neighborhood or any neighborhood. There has to be a strategic plan for why it is there in an effort to try to increase accessibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, I know the consortium, uh, as well as the places like Retreat Behavioral Health, has long recognized the relationship between substance abuse and mental health issues. Very often, people are suffering from, from both conditions. Almost Almost 90%, 80% of the individuals who uh, we see in our addictions program also have an associated mental health program, mental health issue. Uh, and we're now, we are spending on, uh, more resources in trying to address the co-occurring addictions, uh, the co-occurring issue that many people are facing with their drug addiction and their mental health problem. Um, we brought on a psychiatrist who specializes in working with individuals who are co-occurring, who have both a substance abuse problem and suffer with mental illness. There aren't still enough services available for those individuals. In fact, in many cases, uh, we know that, that that problem exists with an individual, but we don't modify our approach to treatment or services in order to accommodate that. We do, and there are several other community-based organizations like ours that are doing similarly. But there's an inordinate uh, uh, amount of evidence that would associate the addiction and mental health that would produce the number of co-occurring individuals that uh, are amongst us today. But it is a critical problem, uh, tough to overcome, requires discipline on everyone's part, including uh, the individual seeking treatment and the one who's providing that treatment. And so the link between mental health and, and, and addiction is a very true one. And that cord is unfortunately too tight. Uh, let's take a moment or two before we have to take another break and just briefly talk about the, uh, the size of this problem is apparent. Uh, and there are uh, more stakeholders in uh, getting it right than just the people directly affected by this. I'm speaking about the business community in particular. They're, yes. a stake, they're a stakeholder in this crisis of mental health and substance abuse. Are they doing their share? All of us can do more, but clearly uh, the lack of um, participation on the part of the larger business community is quite evident. Now, there's some exceptions to that, Steve. 
Uh, what's happening with Independence Blue Cross, for example, uh, they have brought to bear a considerable amount of awareness to the Chamber of Commerce and, and business entities about the dangers associated with addiction and where you can go to, to get help. Uh, major law firms in this city, because they have had some personal contact or been affected personally by this opioid crisis, have stepped up uh, and really on their own began to provide support to those treatment agencies across the city. We could do a, a heck of a lot more, given the size and, and, and the power of our business community here in Philadelphia, there's a lot more that can be done within the private sector to support activities and programs such as the ones that we operate. It just hasn't happened. Mm. It just hasn't happened. In spite of all the publicity, in spite of all the publicity, uh, there are not many people who have knocked on the door and said we want to help. John F. White Jr., President and CEO of the Consortium Behavioral Health Provider in the uh, Philadelphia area, our guest. We have another segment with John. Stay with us. This is Recovery Radio. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Uh, John F. White Jr., as I said at the beginning of the program, has been in the trenches helping people his entire uh, adult life. To recap, he has served the city of Philadelphia both as a councilman in Pennsylvania as a state representative. He was secretary of welfare for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, as well as Philadelphia's federal housing chief. Um, Nobody speaks with more authority about what goes on in a city like Philadelphia than a person like John White. He is now uh, the president and CEO of the Consortium. That's the award-winning uh, behavioral health provider that he's been telling us about. He has been in that capacity for the past 17 years, continuing to do what he has always done, and that's try to help people. Um, so, John, uh, to to sort of sum up um, – what needs? Where do we need to go from here? What can other people do, perhaps in their community, if they don't have organizations like the consortium? Well, uh, fortunately, um, there are treatment op- opportunities and treatment facilities uh, throughout Philadelphia. Uh, no matter what neighborhood that you live in, there's an opportunity right there in your own community to uh, to seek help and to get help. Uh, but what can communities do? Uh, just as I said earlier about let's talk about it, some of these block meetings, the block cops captains, the uh, the block parties that are being held throughout the summer, uh, start a conversation about it. Uh, share stories. Uh, someone's going to tell you how they made it over. Uh, become, you know, educate people more as to not just the problem with respect to addiction and, and behavioral health, but what's available, what opportunities are there for me to get to get whole, for me to, to cure my addiction, for me to get to get well. Second thing is, talk to your elected officials and the people who represent you in the various levels of government. This has to be more than just a talking point. This has to be more than some uh, a line that, that draws applause from, uh, from the audience. There needs to be a real commitment on the part of lawmakers and, and policy, policy makers to more holistically address this problem. It should not be the silos that we're trying to work through at this point. There ought to be a, a clear path for those individuals who suffer with addiction or have a mental health problem to be able to access uh, services to help address those social determinants that, that impact on their behavior. So let's knock down some of the ridiculous uh, uh, rules or regulations that 
uh, that force you uh, to, to halt your effort because the federal government or the state government uh, just doesn't allow it or doesn't see see the benefit of it. And then our hospitals. Uh, Steve, you know, it, it bitters me to no end when uh, you see that the hospitals are really not pulling their weight in trying to support those at the community level in addressing this problem. The number of people who show up in the emergency rooms in, in our hospitals around this city is staggering. But what is just as staggering is how little information they get upon leaving as to where they can find treatment and where they can find help. Um, that's a shame. That's critical. We're right there with the University of Pennsylvania. But we've only gotten minimal number of referrals of individuals who have shown up uh, in their emergency rooms because of a drug or alcohol-related problem. And so as a community, uh, in addressing these issues, particularly when it comes to addictions, it really does take a village. That is just not rhetoric. That is very, very true. And we've got to stop on our side of only servicing the individual. Families are impacted by the illness of addiction, by the illness of mental of behavioral health issues that they're facing. So we've got to take a more holistic approach to trying to address some of these issues that, that, that our friends and neighbors are facing. I have the experience of having lost two loved ones through uh, these two, 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 two situations. My brother died of a drug overdose and my first wife died because she was refused assistance, you know, for her mental health problem. And, and decompensated, and, and bad things happened after that. And so uh, open access, improving our dialogue with uh, our neighbors and the community and talking about the issue, leading our public officials to rein in those in the institutions that could have an immediate impact, like our hospitals here in the city of Philadelphia, I think would be uh, some, a couple of good first steps in going further down the road. They've come a long way, Steve. They really have. CBH has done a remarkable job in expanding opportunities, but they can't do it by themselves either. Yeah, you know, you know, and one of the things, the, the principal thing I, I want to leave uh, folks in this area listening uh, is that, in spite of the size of the problem and the difficulties that uh, John White has been describing, there there's an organization um, and probably others like the consortium where it doesn't matter what the problems may be. Uh, mm-hmm. You can you can go there and get somebody to talk to you and help you um, m- maybe maybe get well. John, if people want in in the Philadelphia area want more information about the consortium, what should they do? Let me give you the website first. Uh, that you can go to consortiuminc.org. C O N S O R T I U M is in Mary I N C. Consortium.org, and you'll see on our website a list of all the various programs and services that we provide, as well as contact information for each one of those those divisions. Otherwise, you can call us at 215-596-8100. Again, that would be 215-596-8100, and someone will be more than happy to help you. John White, President and CEO of the Consortium. John, th- thanks so much uh, for your time. I know, I know. Uh, just real quickly before I go, that you, like everybody else, is uh, a rabid uh, sports fan in the Delaware Valley. Yes, indeed. So I want your take on the uh, Eagles' up-and-coming season. How far they give me? Give me a win-loss prediction for the Eagles. Yes, I'm not counting. Not counting the Super Bowl. Looking at thirteen and three. 
thirteen and three, and you figure they get back to the bowl, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> if they can keep Wentz up upright, we're right there. And listen, we, that defense, you know, that Fletcher Cox now has a lot of help. You know, with Tim Jordan and Marlon Jackson, you know, coming over, uh, he's got some some more support. So he, this is going to be a tremendous defense, and I can't wait to see. Um, oh gosh, the new running back that they drafted from Penn State. I forgot. Oh my goodness, his name escapes me. Me too. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to this. So there I you really go. am. I think it's going to be a welcome home party for uh, for D-Jack, too. So back in the, along the way. So back in the old days, I would have said thanks, uh, John from West Philly, for your call. <laughs> That's all right. You can still call me. I still stand for West Philly, Steve. Thank you. John White, thanks so much for joining us and telling us about the consortium. Thank you, my friend. Take Take, care now. Take care, everybody. Uh, See you next time on Recovery Radio. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.